0: So, Patty, today's episode, talking about the Canadian payments market.
1: Really interesting. I mean, I don't think we've, we've really haven't examined this before. No. And there's, and for me, I found it quite enlightening because I knew that it was a lot different. I didn't realize just how different it was. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and I also was interested in Phil, you know, Phil's making the transition to the U.S. and how much he loves this transition. So yes, uh, for, our, for our Canadian listeners, and I know we do have some Canadian listeners, yeah. Uh, you're really want to, going to want to hear what uh, Phil
0: has I to know. say, and our American listeners too. Yeah, if you're selling cash discounting, or you're interested in your portfolio valuation, those topics also come up in this interview. Um, yeah. And then, Patty, tell us about the insider report today. Uh,
1: we're just talking about PayPal. You know, PayPal's the ultimate disruptor in the payment space, and uh, they're disrupting their their fee schedule. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, stick around and listen to that. And then, James, you have some really good insights for uh, for managers. Would you uh, like to just
0: Yeah, I think as as we're coming out of the pandemic, you know, there's a lot of salespeople that are lacking motivation. Uh, They are still sitting at home. They don't want to go prospecting. They're looking for that magic formula. So today, really, I just talked to managers and give you some tips about how do we help these individuals set uh, goals, uh, whether they're 1099 or W2, and we can hold them accountable, get them motivated and get them back out selling. And so uh, we talk about a lot of ideas with that today.
1: Chock full uh, episode. So what do you say, James? Shall we go head
2: on? Let's go. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast.
0: Hey everybody, Patty and I are here today with Phil McHouston. He is the president of Wholesale Payments Direct. How are you doing today, Phil?
3: Doing very well. Nice to meet you both. Awesome. Same here. Well, yeah.
0: Thanks for jumping on with us. So um, a topic we've never covered before on the podcast, we're going to talk about the Canadian payment space and kind of comparing that to the U.S. market a little bit. And so, Phil, I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners before we dive into all that, that you could maybe give a little bit of your story. I know we had an interesting conversation recently. Tell us about how you got into payments there in Canada and then maybe a little bit of a high level of, of your rationale and your shift into the U.S. market.
3: Sure. Absolutely. And thanks again for having me on. Um, I got in the business about 15 years ago uh approximately and uh, i started in the u.s market actually i started with a company called uh as an independent agent with uh united bank card oh sure
0: okay yeah okay, sure.
3: i think it's now harbor touch if i'm not mistaken yeah, actually I'm it's sure. now a shift shift. Shift, yeah, four.
0: shift Four. yeah shift four.
3: Yep. Shift four. that's right that so went so to another way and especially that owner it's a great story behind that yeah. Yeah. oh
0: yeah yes
3: but um so yeah i i quickly learned uh the the, the that although i understood nothing that the merchant understood less than me, you know, uh, right. so it was very complicated to try to figure out and nobody would tell me, you know, how, how to sell this stuff. Anyhow, that's a whole other story. But bottom line is, um, yeah, I, I, I realized very quickly that I couldn't afford uh, to do this business on my own if I wanted to do it from a management invest in something from a management standpoint and scale it up. Right. Uh, so I focused on what I was already good at and already had a business in which was lead generating, appointment setting, and that type of stuff, and, uh, and I actually went offshore at the time. So we generated statements and leads for ISOs, and I did that for, for a few years offshore in the Philippines, built a, a big operation there, uh, and then I uh, when that kind of crashed and burned after everybody uh, kind of got turned off to outsourcing, uh, I got introduced to the uh, Canadian market. Here for, for payment processing, and uh, lo and behold, in the Canadian market, there's there's leasing, so there's some upfront money to make
0: Right.
3: offset the cost of acquisition. The profit margins were a little bit larger because it was less competitive. Right. Uh, so it was I don't want to say a virgin market, but it was but it was pretty near, and, uh, and how, so it was how a long great. How
0: How long ago was that? That would have been what? Ten years ago? Oh,
3: or that must have been yeah, about ten years ago. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, about that. And uh, so I, I basically, you know, did my same tricks of getting the, the statements in, the same type of a sales spiel, and 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 did that. Got the statements in, and and uh, you know, made a sale, and, and got paid on the leasing, and you know, and you know, Bob's your uncle. I was in business, you know, and then I just came off this big windfall too. So I invested in in, in that and built it up from my basement. So I went from uh, from my basement to uh, agent office. Uh, to an ISO office and registering with Wells, and then lastly in the Canadian, or the U.S. market, I should say. Uh, Well, it looks looks from
1: here that you're on a high floor. So you went from the basement to the penthouse? (laughs) <laughs>
3: okay. so, so no, I'm at my brother's office now. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> uh, nice. I couldn't
0: help it. It was just, a, it was a great segue. <laughs>
3: yeah. I'm, I'm in downtown Montreal at our office. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So, so, so let's talk about the Canadian side for a minute. Uh, Phil, yeah. you know, you've, you've experienced now and we'll get to the U S market in a little bit, but you've now been in the U S market and had some success there. Mm-hmm. When you look at the state of the Canadian market today, you know, mm-hmm. what do you see as the primary differences and drivers of isos and agents selling in the Canadian market versus the U.S. market? What are the big differences our listeners would want to know?
3: Well, I, I mean, in, in terms of, uh, you know, culturally, we're, we're the same. We're, we're pretty near each other, right? So, I mean, right. we're, 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 we're very much similar, um, you know, pop culture and all that stuff. So, there's a lot of similarities. However, that's kind of where it ends, right? In terms of buying, it's it's a very different type of uh, approach that, that needs to be taken. Um, you know, like, like, uh, Canadians we're, were, you know, we always say, sorry, right. We always apologize. So sorry. Hi, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that it's, it's, it's being polite so much to the point that we can't be honest, uh, you know, and I'm generalizing of oh, course, but sure. you know, you, you could have a very long sales cycle to find out that you're not getting the business and, and just end up with one of those, sorry at the end. Right. Oh, sure. So that that's a big, big difference. Uh, whereas Americans will be a lot more direct, you know, and you have to be very quick to, to get their attention and build their interest, uh, you know, you don't have a, you know, a minute or less to, to be able right. to do that. So that's the big difference. And in terms of uh, the the merchants here, they're, they're, the prospects, they're a lot more educated on what their options are, right? Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. they they, because of the card association rules, and, and we'll talk, I guess, a little bit about that, but um, that they're more educated. They know what their options yeah. are. They know the pricing yeah. options and, and and they know the rules. So, uh, it's a, it's a bit different. Cool. Yeah. So I, I would, I would suggest that, uh, you know, that, uh, that, that buyer beware, so to speak, if you're in the U S and you want to come into Canada, be yeah. prepared for that. You know, it doesn't mean that it's impossible because there's a lot of players here sure. that are successful, but, but you do need to, it's more of a, uh, for lack of better words, more of a transparent sales approach, right? Uh, yeah, right. Sure. What a lot of American companies are used to.
1: If you don't mind, Phil, I'd love it if you would speak to the role of government up there in Canada. I mean, mm-hmm. my understanding is that the uh, government plays a much more active role than they do here. Maybe, and uh, I think there's even like a code of conduct or something like that. Could you could you speak to that for a minute?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit like the the. Uh, I don't want to call it the, the FTC, but it's a little similar to that. And, uh-huh. and some of the, the the you know the rules like the Durban Amendment and things like that. You know, so they 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 came up with these, it's called the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, and there is a code of conduct specifically for the card industry, issuers and acquirers uh-huh. and credit. Um, and and basically the premise behind it is really it was created to protect the merchant. Right. Uh, or, or the cardholder uh, will we'll speak of the acquiring side, but the, the merchant really uh, to to budget, you know, for payment processing. Uh-huh. That's the bottom line. And there's a lot of rules that 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 dictate that if there's any type of change in the pricing structure, that uh, that they're they're you know, they have they have rights, you know, uh, and to do something about it. That, I mean, that's the premise behind it.
0: Right, right. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting one, too, because, it you know, um, in the U.S. market, there are a lot of, uh, let's say, disreputable players that are doing a lot of crazy things with cancellations and contracts and locking people in and things, especially on, in the leasing. The one thing I found really super interesting, right, is like the leasing there. I mean, you can I don't remember the exact details. It's been a while since I was consulting and training up there. But I mean, isn't there some kind of pretty extended period of time where you can even cancel a lease that you get?
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's what I was going to say. So, part of the 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 rules are when when you're apping somebody out or you're you're you're, you're submitting an application, a merchant application, right, to get for for a signature, whether it's DocuSign or, or in person, uh, the first thing, the first page that they're going to see is a cover sheet, and the cover sheet basically outlines and summarizes everything, right? Yeah. And and when I'm talking everything. I'm talking you know early termination fees. Uh, which needs a nice initial beside it, and uh, also uh, leasing uh, costs, uh, interchange rates, interchange rates on, uh, not interchange rates, excuse me, effective rates on um, all the different interchange levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, fixed fees, you name it, it's all summarized on that cover page, and it all needs to be initialed and, right. you know, saying that they understand this. Right. And if there's a change in pricing, Right, the rules dictate that uh, that they have the right to agree to the change or not agree to the change and if they agree, uh, do not agree to the change and they give their notice their written notice within 90 days. Um, then they can get out of all contracts, including third parties at no, no, no cost to them no cancellation fees whatsoever right so it's it's really important now does that mean when there's an interchange hike that they're able to get out no it doesn't mean that it means if the if if it's not truly passed on to the merchant right. directly right. without a markup or that savings not passed on to them then yeah they have that right so it's a big yeah. it's a big deal that's a big difference it yeah been,
0: yeah i mean my my big takeaway from it when i you know there's a lot of things about the regulation side of it that i i dislike um but the code of conduct most of that i was kind of like That'd be great. Let's just, can we just bring that over? <laughs> mm-hmm. so, I actually kind of like that. I mean, there's some of the transparency stuff that I think maybe goes a little too far just because it's almost too confusing to the merchant. Like, they're not going to understand all, you know, a lot of stuff you have to put all the interchange categories. And to me, there's a lot of that that's like a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. But the idea that like you have this one cover page regulated by law that you have to show people what they're getting.
1: Yeah.
2: I
0: kind of like that. I thought that yeah. Was
1: like, yeah. I, and I, I, I think, think, think the interchange stuff gets so complex. I mean, it's so complex anyway to to understand interchange to have to like you know set that all out with the effective rates for everything as james says that can get really confusing if i were a merchant i would imagine
3: yeah it is and and you know with with you know sleazy type salespeople, I you mean they'll spin it any way that they want but right you know it's 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 there to to add i guess another obstacle for for those guys uh so they don't take advantage of merchants so you gotta appreciate that for sure sure. i do also agree that it's a little bit too far because i mean let's face it we're in sales and if we were you know if we were uh, talking about everything we would talk ourselves out of a deal right, right. So, I mean, there's 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 a fine line to that
0: yeah, a sure, sure sure so let's talk about technology for a minute so um obviously EMV has been around a lot longer in the Canadian market than the US uh, at least in in force so talk a little bit about the technology solutions what are merchants looking for in the Canadian market maybe versus the US market are there any differences that you've seen there
3: well from the merchant's perspective I mean, it's it's all the same Right? And they really, uh, it's all the same. I mean, the, the consumers here are, you know, want the same things as a consumer in, in the States, right? I mean, they, 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 they want uh, efficiency, they want uh, savings, they want, uh, you know, uh, they want their stuff yesterday, uh, you know, sure. and they want to buy it on an app, uh, on their phone, on, the, you know, e-commerce, all of that is all the right. same. Sure. The, the big difference is um, in in the United States, you know, um, there's so many different solutions and most of them or a lot of them are, are payment processor agnostic. So, um, and there's a ton of gateways and all of this stuff right. where in Canada, there's not like, you know, we haven't, we haven't been actively marketing in Canada for, for about three years now, but, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a common thing for, for sales offices here that when you when you when you find out they have a POS and there's integration involved you just run, you know, and mm, it right. could be a perfect opportunity, great conversation, but you can't sell it. Why? Because it's usually the big uh, processors that uh, and acquirers that have uh, the the exclusive uh, technology, right? So that's it's right. that's a bummer. So there's a lot of that um but in terms of what what they're looking for it's it's the same the merchants are looking for the same thing there isn't however uh cash discounting or surcharging the rules have recently changed not too long ago really? uh but but there's no uh there's no I, i've seen one person and it was an app on on a i believe the clover unit uh yes if I'm
0: not right yeah they got a couple of those
3: yeah so that's well, i mean that's 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 the that's that's the real deal with it here, and and you have to walk away from deals, unfortunately, unless you're selling for, for global or or Moneris, and Moneris doesn't take ISOs here, right? Uh, Canada. Mm-hmm.
1: So let, let's shift gears a bit, if you don't mind, Phil, and 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 talk about uh, your shift to the U.S. market. Um, I mean, you've already you touched on this a little bit, but what are the major opportunities you see here in the U.S. right now? Well, the first thing i love it
3: <laughs> uh, i love it i love it i mean we we were when i was in uh in the canadian market you know i go to to transact every year I, you know the nice. trade show. I, I i mingle I network all of that and i'm always keeping my ear to the ground and reading mm-hmm. trade magazines and all of that and uh, I, I, you know, I couldn't wait to get back into the U.S. market just because of the sheer size of it and right. because, you know, I mean you see in the, in the marketplace, you know, globally, period, how, you know, consumer behavior is changing. So, right. well, I was always actively looking for something else. Uh, and and frankly, you know, here in Canada, it's kind of you know, like if you're not doing something different, then it's kind of a race to the bottom, right, in terms of your margins. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we ended up doing was we ended up working with cash discounting. But I mean, the the you know, there, there's a plenty of, of of you know opportunities that drew us there. You know, first off, the like I talked about the 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 openness of the integrations for for POS systems and ways. Right. Uh, you know, we've we've done some some e-commerce. We're doing that more and more right. uh, lately. So that's a lot of fun. That's a great opportunity. Obviously, that we all know about Canada. You know, globally, uh, it, it's great. Um, you know, there's B two B, which is another vertical that we're we're going after, and we're we're doing very well with uh, in the last year. And uh, last but not least, the the, the surcharging and the uh, the cash discounting, depending on what side of the fence you're on, right? Uh, yeah which right. is a fantastic opportunity.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, and let's let's dig into that one a little bit. I know a lot of our listeners mm-hmm. would be very interested to know that, you know, your model here, correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, you're doing cash discounting entirely over the phone, right, with like different layers of, of callers and stuff. If you don't mind, I know you can't share all your secret sauce with our audience today, but, you know, give us a little bit of an insight. You know, what are some of the challenges you face with that model? And then kind of how is it structured? Is it a two-tier call center? Like, Give us a little context on
3: that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely tiered, it's a tiered model. And, and I mean, I think it's a necessity, even in traditional, uh, yes, processing when, when selling over the phone, uh, you know, because you have to make a lot of calls, right. So, uh, but bottom line is it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, 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 took a lot of trial and error that's, that's frankly what it was sure. a lot of trial and error and, and, sure. and deep pockets to be able to, 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 uh, get us to where we're at now. Yeah. Uh, the big the big difference is i mean with traditional uh processing when you're selling over the phone you know you, you, there's a hard qualifier right with the statement so sure. we get right. the, 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 the statement right. and, and yes we do an analysis on it and everything and we're able to, to, to get our profit and, and savings for for the merchant but it but that process of, of getting that statement in is a very hard qualifier yeah. it, they, the, the merchant walk. shows it a higher level of interest, you know, and, and is right. open to getting a quote. You don't have that with, with surcharging or cash discounting because you can't really fit it into the pitch, not that I'm aware of. Sure. And and everybody's interested in, in saving 100% of their fees or near up virtually all right. of their fees, right? So, I mean, you know, where is the qualifier and where does, you know, uh, the buck stop where, where you have to kind of fire your, your, your prospect, right? right. Uh, so, you know, really, what it boils down to is is exactly that you know i mean that's that's the biggest thing that we learned and it took us a while to learn that is right. that um that even though a, a prospect likes the idea of it it doesn't mean that they're going to switch and that they're ready you know right. to, to pass that fee right? right and it's great that it makes us money and it's great it saves them a ton of money but it still doesn't make it so right they're not right. ready to do it so You have to be able to it takes a good salesperson right one that has very good qualifying skills and and listening skills and be able to fire your prospect that's really what it takes you know uh and then when you have somebody that that's truly desires selling this or uh, purchasing this right and they're on the fence then the the second part of it which was also you know a big part of it for us was you know the trust and uh reputation you Mm -hmm. know like they need to be able to trust you who's, you know, who's wholesale payments direct. And, 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 you know, why should I give you your business? And Why should I believe what you're, what you're saying to us, you know? Right. Right. So that was a, was a big part for us as well. And, and, and we worked hard on, on, on building yep. our, our reputation and, and, uh, and uh, that was a, a real uh, deal changer. Yeah. For us and well,
0: and us I, think, I think this is such an interesting conversation because, you know, as we talk about cash discounting, I'm, I'm always reminding people that, you know, there's this misperception in our industry right now that cash discounting has taken off primarily due to merchant demand. And that's really not true. I mean, merchants do like it once you convince them. The real reason it's taken off is because it solved so many problems for sales organizations. Um, in your case, you know, on the phone, the hardest thing about selling over the phone in the U.S. market, at least in my opinion, was always grabbing the attention. You you touched on it earlier how do you get somebody to stay on the phone with you for that first 30 seconds or a minute without hanging up? Right. And cash discounting does that, you know, now, does that mean the, to your point, does that mean it's easy to close the sale? No, it's still just as hard as it ever was. In my opinion, maybe even a little harder, but the, the way the numbers game plays out is of course it's a lot more profitable when you do get a deal. Um, but also on the front end, just looking at the raw numbers, it's like you're getting so many more people interested initially that, that even though the rest of it, the numbers are still playing out about the same, If not maybe even a little worse as far as actually getting them across the finish line but you are getting a lot more people interested and kind of like more in the top of the funnel um which makes it uh you know really really exciting so um i love it i think it's um i think there's a lot of opportunity there i think surcharging has a lot of opportunity you know one of the other things that you know we keep kind of shifting gears here but you know one of the topics that i thought was interesting from your experience phil is portfolio valuations because you know, right now with surcharging, with cash discounting, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty and, you know, B2B and everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a little about your experience in portfolio valuations. A lot of our listeners, that's really all they're trying to do. If you really drill down, they just want to build a profitable portfolio. So talk about portfolio valuations and some of your experience in that area.
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, that's always been part of our our business because I'm I'm, I'm self-financed of all Always done this uh, on my own. I no outside financing. Right. So you know, throughout the years, uh, or the decades, I should say now.
0: Yeah. Uh,
3: you know, I, I've I I learned how to to negotiate uh, my portfolio and use that to leverage. You know, to grow my business. Right. And um, and in that process, built up a, a very large uh, or, or strong uh, buyers network. Right. And that was one of my concerns as well going into into the states. Was you know. Uh, with this particular product, which is right. our primary product, the, right. the Dash discount surcharging. And uh, you know how will our our our, our network how are they going to react to this and, and and what is the value going to be? And you know, listening to some of your podcasts and and reading some industry magazines on on you know articles on that, um, I was unsure myself, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I've learned was uh, at least with our network, right? That, that there is no difference, you know, to, to, you know, they have the same valuations and maybe even more frankly, because they're, they're, they're really juicy files, right? Let's face it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and in my opinion, you know, and according to, 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 uh, our buyers, uh, you know, cash discounting and surcharging is here to stay, right? right? It's not, it's not a flash in the pan that's going in. Right. right. So they're, they're, they're comfortable investing in these, uh, in, in this vertical and, uh, Now, with that said, what's important though, too, is like with traditional, you know, if your attrition is, is, is terrible, right. And you lose a, you know, a ton of clients, uh, you know, in a three month mark or two month mark or, or six months or whatever, you know, same is true with this, you know? And in fact, I think it says more, I mean, it's, it's more of solid investment, frankly, because with, with, uh, surcharging, I mean, the only way you can mess this up, I mean, they're not going to switch. If if they, right. you know they glitch with you, they're not they're not going to leave again to a com- competition. You know, even right. if they can save a half a basis point uh, right.
0: for
3: for their customer, they're just not going to do it. Like uh, the only reason it's they would pain. do it is because of customer service, right? right? Customer service or, or 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 technology problems or something like yeah. that. So it's sure. a solid investment. Our network you know loves it. Um, you know, there we've had no problem to, to to fund our growth, and we've needed to, sure. you know. Uh, like any other, uh, small to medium sized business to, to continue to grow. But my, my, my point is, is the customer service needs to be strong. And as well in the sales cycle, right. Is to control the, the, the customer, uh, you know, the merchants expectations. Right. I mean, if you're selling this and saying you're, you're going to, you know, try it out for two weeks, you know, I mean, you're giving them an out. It's going to be a weak sale. That's going to end up being problematic. Right, but if you if you control the expectation and say, listen, your customers are going to be unhappy. Right? right, nobody likes to pay more. Right. But if you stick with it, you know, for right. for for two three months, you'll see that the dust will right. settle and you'll be okay. Right. And right of these fees, and right. if you do that, you're going to have a solid uh, portfolio that is going to be a very appealing for for an investor.
0: Love it, love it. Well, I tell you what, let's do. Um, I still have one more question for you, actually, Phil. But before we get to that. Could you share with our network? I know a lot of them, a lot of individuals listening, you know, they're looking for how do I get that portfolio valuation? How do I find a qualified buyer? Um, where would you send them to actually learn more about that opportunity to get a valuation of their portfolio and get it sold?
3: Yeah. So uh, you could go to myportfoliovalue.com. It's myportfoliovalue.com. Uh, you can fill out a form. You could also email me if you'd like, uh, phil at wholesalepaymentsdirect.com. Um, you know, we'd be glad to to give you more information and you know guide you in the right uh, direction if you need help with that.
0: Awesome. And that, that email one more time you said it was Phil at wholesalepaymentsdirect.com.
3: That's right. It's P-H-I-L at wholesale payments, plural direct.com
0: Awesome. So last question and then we'll let you go today, Phil. Um, I'm sure there's gonna be ISOs that are listening that are in the Canadian market. We do mm-hmm. get some listeners in Canada, about five percent or so. And, you know, they may listen to this and say, wait a second, Phil left Canada, <laughs> or, you know, didn't leave, but, you know, selling in the U.S. market. Um, maybe we want to do the same thing. Any parting words of wisdom that you'd have for your fellow ISOs there in Canada that are thinking about going from the Canadian? We talked about going from the U.S. to the Canadian side. What about going from the Canadian to the U.S. side? Any words of wisdom there?
3: Yeah. So, uh, like anything, I mean, you could do it if you, if you put your mind to it, right? Sure. Uh, Personally, myself, what I did is I, I I sold my customer base here in Canada completely. So I kind of burnt my own bridge, if you will. <laughs> there was a point of no return. So that way, I had to make it work. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the margins are very very big in cash discounting, right? Uh, they're 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 big. That's no no secret. However, it's not a a, a get rich uh, quick uh, scenario. You know, it it it's it's not an easy sale to find, or it's an easy sale, but it's hard to find the the right buyer. You know yeah, I like
0: that that's a great explanation actually that's yeah. really good
3: uh, you know and it and it takes you know obviously thinking out of the box it takes uh, persistence hard work obviously uh, and deep pockets as I said uh, for yeah. us uh, you know having to be able to, to, to sell our book there uh, has, has helped us a lot
0: yeah I think definitely going the the um, phone sales approach I've got about four consulting clients right now that are you know doing you know, similar you know concept where you have the the multiple tiered call center, you know, getting leads and, and closing them, and uh, you know, it's 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 like one of those things where it's one of the most profitable things that you can have, but it's one of the most expensive things that you can build, as far yeah. as a business model, in my opinion, because you know you really you know it, there's there's no way to do it without just paying a lot of people for a lot of time, right, to work the kinks out and and figure a process out, and and of course training people to be able to do it. Um, is not quite as easy as it might seem at first, especially the, you know, you can get the leads, but the leads yeah. are the easy part with this. Training yeah, the right. salespeople is is really uh, quite challenging, I would say.
3: Yeah, and we, and we do all of that in-house. So, I mean, we don't outsource right. anything. So, I mean, from, from uh, you know, calling the raw data to, right, to, you know, closing the sales, trainers, everything is all done in-house. So they're all with wholesale payments.
1: Yeah. yeah. So awesome. in other words, it's a, it's a big upfront investment, but the payoff can be... Handsome, if it's yeah, properly it, it,
3: exactly. It's it's a it's a long term project, you know, and uh, it, it definitely, uh, and, that, and that's why I say, you know, for for, for a guy like me, and, and I'm sure there's lots of agents and smaller ISOs like like myself that don't have outside uh, financiers or anybody investing in, in their business. You know, this is a way to to, to fund your business. And uh, right. you know, and I've and I've started right from you know from from ten years ago uh, selling you know for very small multiples all the way up, and and, and yeah. I've learned the hard way, you know, and built a a, a strong network. So I mean, that's yeah. that's 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 the best way to do it, in in my opinion, for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think one last thing I, I just want to touch on is it something you brought up, you know, last week on the podcast, I think it was, I was talking about um you know use of capital, um mm-hmm. in our industry and. You know, I think what you're saying hits hits home on something that I have believed in for a long time that I don't think we've talked about enough. And that is, you know, there's a lot of people in our industry that are just like, why would you ever sell a residual portfolio? Like, you just never sell that. It's such mm-hmm. a good thing to have. And, you know, ultimately, there's there's a lot of situations like what you're describing where I don't look at it as selling it as much as I do flipping it. It's like, right. I'm going to sell this portfolio so I can buy this other one, you know, right. through having people um, in telemarketers whatever I've done that myself many many times where um, yeah. probably now at least six or seven times over the years where I've sold one book of business because I realized yeah that's not really the future it's a bunch of you know back in the day it was like all my I had all these merchants doing you know under twenty thousand in volume with a hypercom t7 terminal you know <laughs> and it's like you know what if I sold all those and I got you know two hundred thousand dollars, I could actually hire a few salespeople and we could go start selling point of sale systems before that was the norm, you know, right. and then those accounts would be so much more valuable. And so I did that, you know, and then it's like, well, I could actually sell those and then I could actually build a team of people and, and start selling omnichannel, you know? So, um, so I think you make a good point of, you know, the idea of selling the portfolio. I mean, it's not always about you're selling the portfolio to go buy a new Ferrari, you know, sometimes it's about selling it to reinvest in the business, right, Phil?
3: Yeah, it's, it's not so much a, an exit strategy, right, uh, as a right. as an investment tool. Yeah, uh, right. That's exactly right. It's uh, I'm talking about funding our growth. I mean, yes. so that way we're not, we're I mean, let's face it. We're not selling the 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 shareholder equity in the business. Right. We're, we're, we're selling some of the financial equity. Right. Um, uh, for, selling for the for, asset. For up, yeah, the asset. Exactly. For for the for the upfront benefit. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, right. The question is and i think in the old days they would say that don't don't sell you know your residual that's what you're working for and i and i I agree with that to a certain point i think that uh depends on what the deal is right so i mean if if you're getting a small multiple then yeah that's you know it's not going to take you very far
0: right right?
3: but yeah if you can get a, a a good deal for yourself and have uh, somebody that has your back in order to get that good deal for you, right. uh, and you use it, you know, to fund your growth and reinvest, uh, like you yeah. said, the capital. Like the last podcast, you know, I think that's a uh, that's been our our success.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, Phil, I'm sure we could talk for a lot longer about this, uh, but uh, it's really been great having you on the podcast. I appreciate you sharing your insights uh, on the Canadian market and, and as well cash discounting in the U.S. side and, and coming over. So, thanks so much for jumping on and joining us today.
3: Yeah, really informative, Phil. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And thank you very much for asking me. And uh, yeah, that's great. And I hope we we speak again sometime in the future. I'm sure awesome. we will.
0: So Patty, one of the great things about our sponsor Valor Paytech is this omni-channel approach. Um, mm-hmm. There are so many merchants. Uh, I was just talking to one of the head, uh, one of the top executives at Valor Paytech actually yesterday, and we were talking about how he had an experience where he was talking with a, um, a construction uh, contractor. Uh-huh. And this construction contractor, the way that he was doing business is he was, you know, getting a call. He would set up a, you know, very expensive project. Right. They would go and complete this project. It's usually a one-day project. They'd complete the project. Then afterwards, his team would reach out and try to get payment over the phone. Oh, oh. And, you know, this executive at Valor Paytech was saying, use Valor Paytech, you know, because the e-invoicing, all of that, which is is so simple and seamless with that system that it's like, hey, you can have a terminal and you can have e-invoicing and it's all going to be under one mid. It's going to work seamlessly. You're going to have one dashboard to see all your payments. Right. You know which invoices have been paid, which ones haven't been paid. So I think some of that simple stuff gets lost on uh, salespeople in the industry. A lot of times of, Mm -hmm. you know, go after an industry and, you know, a lot of times we're so hung up with, you know which POS solution and and all the complicated things and really right. you just need to talk to people. How are they processing payments? Where are the pain points at? Um, I had a very similar experience. I'm working right now actually with the company that installed an air conditioner for me. Uh-huh. Um, they have yet to receive payment from me because they want to set it up to do credit card payments. And I uh-huh. said, I'll help you set it up. I'm probably going to end up paying with a check because it's it's taking a little while to get going. But they were doing the same thing and they were charging a five percent fee to take cards. And I was like, hey, we can do cash discount. We can set it up a little bit less than that, be more realistic for your customers, et cetera. So there's a lot of opportunity out there still in the payment space. I'm, I'm oh, amazed yeah. as a consumer, especially with vendors, I'm amazed that there's such a big opportunity in payments still with these companies that just are not doing it the right way. So, Well, you know, it, it
1: blows my mind because I've had several occasions, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, plumbers yes, uh, and builders right. and electricians. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I'm always telling them like, you know, you can do this much more efficiently yeah. Yeah. than what you're doing. I yeah. mean, I I had an auto mechanic the other day and it was like, how do you know, how do I pay you? Right? Yeah. Oh, can you give me a check, please? And I, I watched my bank account. It took five days for that check yeah. to
0: clear. And then he had to drive to the bank and all the opportunity costs, he lost all that time, stuff, right. And everything like that.
1: So, and, and, you know, so yeah. there's a lot of things out there. And I think if you just talk to these guys, even, yeah. and, and, and it also strikes me, doesn't it? I think with, you would agree James and what Valor can help with is you don't have to do any kind of fancy footwork. Right. You know, right. it doesn't matter what the industry is. There's a, this solution is going to work. Right. And if you want to do cash discounting, it's a no brainer. Yeah.
0: On the, on the e-commerce side and on the physical location. So both ways. Yeah. Definitely head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R and show our sponsor some love. So it's again, ccsalespro.com slash V-A-L-O-R.
2: This is questions from the field brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14 day trial of our all access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now here is Questions from the Field with James Shepherd.
0: So, Patty, I have not done a questions from the field for sales managers lately. And I haven't really talked about how do we get these people fired up um, to get out there and sell payment processing. Because let's face it, uh, you know, selling payment processing is very difficult. Um, It is something that even with the advent of cash discounting and surcharging, et cetera, et cetera, you know, um, there's a lot of negativity that you face in sales in general right um and so today i just thought i would share a couple of tips um this comes from several conversations i've had consulting lately talking to sales managers about you know motivating sales people one of the big challenges right now sales people are you know this is a post-pandemic world we're we're getting there right 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 um and there's a lot of sales people that don't want to they don't want to go out and prospect anymore mm-hmm. um they don't want to pick up the phone and make those cold calls and and set up those appointments you know um and so i think a couple things are are really important i think number one trying to help salespeople to understand how to accomplish their goals, how to realistically accomplish their goals. Salespeople, a good salesperson is always going to set an unrealistic goal for themselves. Of course, that's what good salespeople do. You know, that's what you do, right? You know, uh, Christina would tell you that. You know, when I come to her and say, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna sell this much revenue at the company," she'll think, "Okay, well, let's see if you can sell half of that." You know, like, right? <laughs> He's always challenging my assumptions, and you need that. And as a sales manager, you need to play that role of, okay, it's great that you have these lofty ambitions, but how are you going to accomplish them exactly? What are your and, steps? Yes, and, and challenging the assumptions and the beliefs of the salespeople to say, well, it's great that you have this creative idea that you've never tried before, mm-hmm. but you can't depend on creative ideas you've never tried before to get your results. Right. You know? And I think a lot of salespeople, they're always trying to chase that next creative, magical thought process that's going to get them out of prospecting. Mm-hmm. And I don't really have a problem with that as long as you're spending that three or four hours a day doing the prospecting now. Right. And then once you do figure out what that magical formula is, I can say you you can transition. Yeah, you're never going to find it. So I can save you some time, but that's okay. You want (laughs) to keep trying. Go ahead. Um, It turns out it does take a lot of hard work to make a lot of money, but that's okay. Um, So, you know, if you want to keep searching for that, go ahead. But you got to have the underlying foundation of results. So I think as sales managers, it's that having those conversations and that communication, you know, really audit yourself and ask, you know, have I been You know, when I think through my salespeople, and again, 1099 contractors, doesn't matter. W2, 1099, doesn't matter. You know, uh, I always hear managers complaining about their 1099s and and how they have no commitment and they just, they don't, you know, get anything done. And I'll say, okay, well, give me an example of somebody that you think has a lot more potential than they're achieving. And they'll say, oh, you know, Susan, okay. When is the last time that you and Susan had a one-on-one conversation? Um, Never. (laughs) that you proactively initiated, not she called, she was upset about her commission check, but you reached out and said, what are your goals for the year? What are Mm -hmm. your ambitions? How can I help? Right. Right. Um, And so I think sales managers need to manage, they need to get involved. And then what you do is you find out what these goals are that people have, then you break those down and say, okay, so you want to sell 15 merchants a month, 20 merchants a month. That's fantastic. Um, Let's look back at the last 30, 60, 90 days. What's your closing percentage? You know, mm-hmm. How many merchants have you spoken to and how many did you sell? Okay, well, you're currently closing at 10%. So that means that if you want to sell 20 merchants, you need to talk to 200 merchants this month. And if you want to talk to 200 merchants, how many days are you going to work this month? Right. Probably 20. If you're in this industry, probably 15 because you take like a week of vacation every month, you know? <laughs> um, so how many days are you going to work? We're going to work 20. Okay, that means you got to be talking to 10 new business owners every day. Right. You know, and so breaking it down like that. And then maybe they say, well, you know, they then then what you got to do, the next step is check back in with people, right? Well, that was what
1: I was just going to say, because you can't just do that in January and then come back in November. You need right. to come back in February and say, right. hey, how did you do with that? You Looks know, to me like you only got eight. Oh. Right.
0: <laughs> one, of my, one of my favorite questions to ask salespeople is, you know, you have a conversation like that. And let's say that hypothetical one I just did. hmm after three days, you know, two, three days, I'll say, so how many merchants have you talked to so far in the last three days? And they'll say, I talked to 15. I'll say, okay, so are you planning to close twice as high as what we had anticipated? Or are you Mm -hmm. planning to cut your goal in half? Right. And they're like, well, I don't want to do either. Well, you're going to do one or the other Mm -hmm. because these numbers don't work. And so salespeople, a lot of times, Um, salespeople love magical thinking and that's part of their allure. That's part of their strength is that positivity, but they need somebody to help them understand magical thinking is not going to help you. You know, you're not going to hit your goal. That's going to keep you positive, which is good. But at some point your actions are going to produce your results and just reminding them of that. And I think having that conversation on a regular basis and really just having a conversation in general, you know, to, you know, how many of your salespeople have you talked to to say, you know, Hey, how have you made it through the pandemic? Right. protection program, uh, funding, you know, how's everything going with your family? Um, Mm -hmm. and I can tell you that, you know, the salespeople I'm involved with in the industry that are doing really well and have done well through all of this, you know, they're texting, they're, they're calling, they're emailing their salespeople individually and they're having these conversations and they're just having real conversations, helping them set goals, helping them convert those goals into actions. And then, you know, whether they're holding them accountable or not, however you want to look at it, they're having follow-up conversations to help them assess where they're at and help them to adjust their goals or their activities accordingly.
2: Yeah, yeah, really important. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading the Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com.
1: Well, James and uh, folks out out in uh, listening land, PayPal just announced a new set of fees that will make it generally more expensive for online merchants to accept PayPal payments.
0: Yes. And these some, in some, in some cases, with, uh, a, very, a lot of excitement from merchants. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. You know, in some cases the increases are going to exceed 40%. Yeah. You know, and, and I, to me, this move is especially noteworthy, you know, given the fact that Visa and MasterCard were pretty much bullied into backing down on their price hikes right. earlier this year. Yeah. You know? where's,
0: where's Dick Durbin when you need him?
1: When you need him. Right. I yeah. mean, right now, online sellers are paying 2.9% plus 30 cents. Uh, to accept PayPal digital products. You know, that's PayPal yeah. checkout, pay with Venmo, right. checkout with crypto. Beginning August 2nd, the fee is going up to 3.49% plus 49 cents.
0: I mean, it's just insane.
1: It really is. Isn't that insane? I mean, that that's, that's a 78 cent increase or almost, or 24.3, I did the calculations, 24.3% increase on a $100 ticket.
0: That
1: is And crazy, uh, crazy, crazy. and a, uh, a the fee for a ten for online purchase is going to jump from fifty nine cents to eighty four cents, which is a whopping forty two percent hike. Wow,
0: that is crazy. Um, yeah, I read an article about it, but I didn't. That see is the it, actual numbers. That's crazy.
1: Yeah, I. I it's funny. how somebody called me when I was trying to crunch the numbers earlier today. I'm like, no, yeah. no, I'm crunching numbers. This is like so. Right. It was so. out of, out of, out of norm that I kept saying, no, this, I couldn't have this right. I got to do this again. And it just, it was like 42. So
0: so just, I'm sorry, just to clarify. So you're saying these fees that you're talking about are associated with merchants who want to accept any payment using PayPal or merchants who want to accept a PayPal payment.
1: Merchants who want to accept a PayPal payment. They're actually, this is kind of like
0: the PayPal interchange in a way.
1: Right. PayPal interchange. Now, for the if you're if they're accepting Visa, Mastercard, Discover, any of the branded cards through yes. PayPal, right? It's actually going to go a little bit lower. Oh, um, okay. Okay, online sellers processing these through types of payments through PayPal um, can opt. Uh, what is it? It's two point. Hold on a second. Two point five nine percent plus forty nine cents.
0: Oh man, that's down.
1: Yeah, well, it was 2.9 plus 30.
0: Yeah, so depending on your average ticket size. Depending on your average, and I did a
1: bunch of little, there was a couple where it inched up a few and a couple where it went down a little bit. bit, But it's mostly down a little bit. Um, And they can also opt for chargeback protection uh, for a higher fee, of course. That fee, so if you want chargeback protection while accepting a visa, et cetera, it's 2.99 plus plus 49 cents. So that actually goes up a little bit because it was mm. 2.9 plus 30. Now it's 2.99 plus 49. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, Patty, I've kind of lost track of PayPal a little bit. So, so PayPal is... Still the parent publicly traded company, or, or, or are they owned by somebody? Do you know? No,
1: they were owned by eBay for a long time. Yeah, okay. And then eBay s- sold them about four or five years ago.
0: Okay. So now PayPal is just PayPal, PayPal. Publicly, publicly traded? I'm publicly saying-
1: traded. And I will tell you, I follow their stock because I like to follow yeah. all kinds of payment stock. Yeah, sure. Uh, They have gone up, gosh, from. When I first started following them, they were trading at about $40 a share. Yeah. Yeah. Now they're at $250 a share. Wow. Yeah. So like if you bought a hundred shares at 40, you know, you're looking at about a thousand percent increase mm-hmm. in your investment, something around there. I was doing that numbers earlier today, but I think mm-hmm. it came out to close to a thousand percent hike. Yeah. Um, and here's the other interesting thing is it used to be with paypal that um whether you were using a paypal payment function you know feature mm-hmm. or a credit card it was all the
0: same right right so now they're stripping that out yeah now they're but because they've now got i think it's you know you watch these big companies and in some ways it's sad a little bit to me to see them where they, you can tell that they reach that point where it's not about growth anymore in terms of right. acceptance. I mean, of course they have those functions and they have, you know, those departments, but you know, it's like, okay, we got to increase our profit. We're just going to have to get more money from the people we already have. Right. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. You know, it's, it's the reality of the marketplace and capitalism, but that just goes to show that PayPal has kind of become the uh, dinosaur and Oh you know. well,
1: yeah, and, and especially because, you know, it it became, you know, early on, everybody knew they were losing money hand over fist, right? you know, because everything, you know, they were doing yeah. so, things so cheaply, you know, like take an example. Here's a good example. They introduced touchless QR payments last year. And it was for the first six months, no fee. Right. Okay. Right. So now... If it's a uh, it's a dot it's a one point nine percent plus ten for transactions over ten dollars, mm. uh, or two point four zero percent plus five for anything under ten dollars.
0: Well, that's a really stupid pricing thing. Why would they do that? Why would you? Why would you lower your per item when you lower the price?
1: Yeah, I I don't stupid. get that. Um, but anyway, and here's the other interesting thing: they claim that they have um, more than a million merchants have signed on for QR code payments since they first introduced it last April.
0: Mm, interesting. I mean, I could so, actually see the QR payments would be a much more likely way for people to use PayPal at a merchant location.
1: Right. That's what if I see it as. If exactly. I want to use
0: my PayPal, I don't even know how I would do that. I don't
1: know how I would do it other than if
0: unless they had a QR code, a QR right? QR code, that makes sense. but Right. Mm, but, well, that's interesting. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll hear more about this, but it's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I interesting.
1: just, yeah, you know, and, and you also have to look at it. They're hiking these prices for online at a time when online business is booming. Right. Right? I mean, the company reports that it processed $285 billion in payments during Q1, which is a 49% increase over Q1 2020.
0: Wow, that's huge.
1: That is huge.
0: Yeah.
1: And they had, as of Q1, they had said they had 392 million active accounts.
0: You know, I think one thing PayPal does have that's a big asset to them is that I think online consumers, you know, PayPal got that early mover advantage where right. you pay with PayPal. I think generally people feel safer. Mm-hmm. I have to admit I do you know? when
1: I pay with PayPal. It's sort of like, okay, at least I'm not putting my credit card in there.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, so I think, I think they've positioned themselves well. I think it's like, uh, you know, Plaid is kind of in the early stages of that with bank information. Um, mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think it's interesting being that trusted middle uh, party. And, uh, and ultimately, right. you know, how do you make a lot of money at that? Well, you have to charge more for being in the middle and that's what they're doing. So I guess it right. shocked anybody, but it is a little surprising that they waited so long and then increased it so much. It seems like, why don't they go back 24 months and slowly get and to where slowly they increase
1: it. Right.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, I just wanted to share a quote with everybody from uh, what's his name? Dan Lieberman, who's SVP for at at PayPal. And he did a blog post sure. explaining the increases And I I love this quote, PayPal has become more than just a button or payment processor to become a full commerce platform capable of driving growth for businesses of all sizes, online or in person. Mm -hmm. And he noted that, for example, merchants offering PayPal's buy now, pay later Mm -hmm. option have seen a 15 percent lift in, in, in growth and that PayPal's data shows that consumers are three times more likely to complete a purchase if PayPal is a checkout option. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. I just thought that that was, you know, really interesting. But most of all, I think what's interesting is, you know, here they are jacking up prices when Visa and MasterCard were bullied into holding off until next year any new price increases.
0: Yeah, it just makes you wonder, you know, how long is it going to be before, uh, you know, Congress sets its sights on processors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and says, well, why are we spending so much time, you know, bullying Visa and MasterCard and the big banks when that doesn't really matter if the processors are going to increase rates to the merchants. Mm-hmm. That's that's ultimately going to be the determining factor. So um, it's interesting. Definitely. I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and see, you know, every time something like this happens with it's Square or PayPal or, you know, it's funny we're talking about them as if they're so evil when obviously serve and everybody else in our, our side of the pool is right. good, <laughs> massive regular price increases as well. So sure, um, it's the nature of the beast, but I think it will be interesting to see how long that behavior lasts before it does get the attention of Congress and they decide to mm-hmm. take some, some type of action. So, right. That'd be good. Good stuff, Patty. Yeah. Thanks, James. This episode of the Merchant Sales Podcast was brought to you by Valor Paytech, The technology company that is revolutionizing cash discounting and surcharging with innovative features like dual mid support, waive the fee options, and even adding non-cash adjustment charges to TIPS. Now all of this is made possible by a variety of technology devices and solutions such as gateways, tabletop point of sale devices, and features like SMS text messaging and e-invoicing all with cash discounting in mind. Valor PayTech bold ideas, smart execution. Make sure you head over to ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R, ccsalespro.com slash valor, V-A-L-O-R. Schedule your free demo today and watch videos and learn more about this amazing technology solution.
2: Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space,